you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just blessed that you're here with us this morning to be able to just to fellowship and to study God's word together and just uh, just rest. There's some here we just need to rest. And uh, getting here was a big deal just to make it here today. And so I pray that you would find that uh, rest for the mind and, uh, and for the soul, but also for the body in some cases, but not too much restful. If I see any snoozing, I'll, I'll pick up the volume and let it just go a little longer. That wasn't a threat. That was just, hey, just what a blessing to have you here. And uh, anytime we can gather in God's name, right? We don't take it for granted uh, because many of our brothers and sisters around the world cannot freely just come and fellowship with one another and just study the, the, the word of God openly with one another. So, again, we just don't take that for granted. We're very thankful and grateful of God's grace for us. Hey, amen. Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to take verses 1 through 6 as we pick back up where we left off last week. I'm actually going to read one verse out of chapter 11 because really chapter 15 is connected to chapter 12. Of course, remember, the letter does not have chapters and verses breaks when it was written. Uh, man has placed the chapter breaks and verses. So I'm going to read verse 15 of chapter 11 and then jump down to chapter 12, read verses 1 through 6, and then we will take it verse by verse from there. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded. Remember, this is the seventh um, trumpet. It opens up, to, yes, to the seven bowls, the last of the, of the judgments. But this is the parentheses, the, the interlude, the moment of just pausing to see what goes on in behind the scenes between the seals the trumpets and the bowls. So that's what we're continuing to do here. And it says, then the seventh angel sounded, and there was there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, chapter 12, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of, set of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems, on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of, a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they 
should feed her there, uh, there feed her there 1260 days father we just thank you again for your word and as as we open and discuss here your with your lord we pray the lord we, your holy spirit would just minister to us and speak to us in and through by your word correct us change us mold us shape us encourage us whatever you want to do lord May we have hearts of desire to hear from you and desires for you to speak to us. May we be, have hearts to receive and be obedient and to receive and to be equipped and encouraged through this day. This reading, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Invisible War. There's a war that many Christians do not ponder on or think about, and they always ask themselves, why is this happening? Why are the things that are happening in my life, they just doesn't, I, I, where did this come from? Many Christians forget there is an invisible war that takes place from the beginning of time that we see in the Garden of Eden. And that is the, the war between the spirit and the flesh, yes. But also between the demonic force and the heavenly force. There is, there is a war that takes place in our lives constantly to keep you and I from coming to God. But then once you do come to God and you're born again, there's still this war, this, this, the demonic forces of darkness is trying to keep you and I from continuing to walk and do what God's called us to do. And the struggles that we have many times is because the demonic forces, the darkness, the things of this world will constantly pull you away from God. To do what pleases God in our lives. But make sure you understand right from the very beginning, Satan is not equal to God. It's, he's not equal. He's not even on the same level or pair at all. God created all beings, even the angelic being uh, realm. And Lucifer, Satan, the devil, wanted to be like God. And we will see a part of it here today of this moment of being cast out from heaven. And what are the things behind the scenes that are happening? We don't dwell on the devil. We don't dwell on these demonic things. But we see in Ephesians 6 that they're real. And there's, there's hierarchical positions that, uh, that are looking to try to stop what God's plan is. And we will see today he tried to stop Jesus from coming to the cross. We will see the fact that after he's gone to the cross, it's no longer, he cannot stop what is already God's plan. But he will try to stop you and I, God's people, from doing God's plan. And that is to reach the lost and encourage those in the faith. So here in chapter 12, we continue this this. this, this interlude of behind the scenes of the characters of this very dramatic play playing out here in life. 
Here in the first part in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 12, that's all we're taking today, is the prelude to this invisible war that we will continue on after verse 6. Here we see a prophetic lineup of key characters in the great end times drama that we are seeing and reading about. And chapter 12 is one of the most symbolic chapters in all of Revelation, but all of the Bible is here in chapter 12. Lots of symbols that you need to understand. If you do not understand who these characters are symbolically, you will be very confused when you read the read the revelation and we will continue with this parathenological section of the chapter that started in chapter 10 and goes until the end of chapter 15 chapter 16 is when we pick up where we see the six bowls of wrath of God being poured out we will see seven major figures Mentioned, and we must know who they are and to make sure you have an understanding of the sense of how that plays out here. I'm going to line them out initially right up front so that you have them, but we will discuss why I believe who these characters are. We'll start here in verse 1. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A great sign. This word in the Greek is mega or mega semenion. It, it means a great sign. It's something. There's two of them that's mentioned here uh, in the first couple of verses here. But the first one is a great sign. What is that great sign? It appeared in heaven. Who's that sign in heaven? A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. There's many things here we need to understand what this really means symbolically. Versus the fact that this great sign, this mega sign, this, this sign that these seven signs that John is going to be uh, relating to and understanding that's going to be described here in these verses, especially in chapters 12, 13, and 14. The seven main figures in the great tribulation are described and the great sign introduces the very first of the seven, and that is the woman. Right up front, I'm going to tell you, I believe there is only one option here, and that is representing Israel. Not the church, not Mother Mary, and not others who proclaim. And we'll talk about that. So you can make that down on your notes. Hopefully you're taking notes. The second one we will see is the next great sign is the red dragon, the fiery red dragon. It represents Satan, the devil, very clear as we go through this. The next one is the man-child we'll get to is very clear referring to Jesus. We will also see a character by the name of the angel Michael, the archangel Michael, ahead of the angelic host, the elect angels. Many believe Lucifer was like Michael and was like one of the archangels, a worship leader and, and other factors that people believe. But unfortunately, very sadly, the impact in all of our lives has been that he chose to go against God. The next character would be the offspring of the woman representing the Gentiles who come to faith in the tribulation. Again, these last few we'll be talking about in the chapters to come. The next one is the beast out of the sea. That represents the Antichrist. And lastly, the beast out of the earth representing the false prophet. 
a religious leader who promotes the Antichrist. These characters we will see in the end times drama as we take through chapter 12, 13, and 14. Now as we come back here, we see in heaven this great sign, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a garland of 12 stars. Now when you think about this, because John plainly said this is a mega big sign, we don't expect this woman to appear literally on earth. It's a symbol. God will use this sign to communicate something to John and to us in regards to the end times. Who is this woman that is in, that's represented it? Well, we know in the scripture, when we study the scripture, we see that women often represent religious systems in, in Revelation. Let me take you to the very first woman that we see that's represented, and that is Jezebel. We see it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. She is associated with a religious system promoting paganism, that false teaching that takes place. That's who she represented. The next one is the great harlot. She is associated with a false religion. And we see that, we'll see that in Revelation chapter 17, verse 2. The next one is the bride. That is associated with the church. The church is many times referred to as a her. And it's Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. It's the church. The virgin bride is the church. Now, throughout history, there have been a number of suggestions on who this woman is here in chapter 12, verse 1. And this woman, in many times, people come up with a perspective of what they believe that I don't agree with. The first one is the Roman Catholics. Not to put down the Roman Catholics, I'm just saying this is their belief. And then the Roman Catholics claim that this woman is the Virgin Mary, pictured as the Queen of Heaven. But I strongly disagree. I strongly disagree because if this was Mary, she wouldn't experience birth pains in heaven. So as you go through that, you cannot line those two up. It's a stretch for them to think this. But across the, the years, they have very much believed this, and they want to believe this, and they almost they come to a point of worshiping her because of this. If you've been around, if you, for some of you who are... Um, ex-Catholics and have, have, have you know, become born again and, they, and you're studying the word and understand these things, you will remember, and we see it today, I mean, we just saw it going back to Texas for a memorial with, for Kathleen's passing of mom. We saw in the Catholic Church there a, a representation of Mary as standing on a crest, uh, standing there with a crescent moon behind and the twelve stars around her head. You you may see that in many paintings that take place. Others believe this is Mary Baker Eddy, if you know that name. This is a woman who uh, created or formed or started the Christian science a religion. She believed she was the woman birthed the Christian science. This is the scripture who is, she's, is being spoken of as her and the birth of that religion. 
Others believe it's the church. But again, I do not believe this. This interpretation paints a twisted picture of the church giving birth to the one, Jesus, who will rule and reign. That is not true. The church didn't give birth to Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the church. So it doesn't line up for those who believe that. So so how? How does this happen? Well, I, I go back to the scriptures, and when's the last time we saw something taking from? And I go back to the beginning of, of Genesis, because so many times in the Old Testament speak of what we need to see in Revelation. And here, I think of the rib taken from Adam's side at the birth of Eve. So too, Jesus hung on the cross, and it was his blood. It was the water flowing from his side of the last Adam. that birthed the church. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It's a great reference to that point. I believe the only contextual and only theological solution to the question of the identity of this woman here in Revelation chapter 20 or chapter 12 is Israel. Why do I say that? Because when you look at the description of the woman, where is the only place in the scripture that talks about the sun and the moon and the stars representing this woman or speak of this topic? We find it in Genesis chapter 37 verses 9 through 11 speaking of the dream of of Joseph. If you remember In that dream, the son represented Jacob, Father Jacob. The moon represented Joseph's mother, Rachel. And the 11 stars, and then including Joseph, the 12 stars representing the tribe of Israel. We see also in the Old Testament passages, Israel being sometimes referred to as Zion, also referenced as Jerusalem. But in these Old uh, Old, uh, Testament passages, talks about Israel being and represented as a woman. We see that. Let me give them to you for you go back and read them today. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah 3.20, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 8 through 14, and Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. I think it's very clear to me, hopefully to you as well, as you continue your studies, that you would look and see through and used by the scripture that you, this is Israel, the woman. It will continue to make sense as we continue to go through chapter 12. There's much more evidence. In verse 2, we see that this woman gives birth. It says, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Later in chapter 12, we will see it's in this verse, I should say verses 5 and 6. It speaks of that she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This is the the destiny or what the purpose, the mission of this child that will be born of Israel. It's Jesus. His name is Jesus. But it says here, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. The pain describes and refers to the 
travail, the pain of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth under the Roman occupation and oppression. And we see that same travail happening across the world today. How evident that is of anti-Semitism happening across and it's flowing across the world. You and I in our lifetime did not live through Hitler days. I miss a lot. Help me out here. The Italian Mussolini. There you are. I had the M, but I wasn't getting the tongue wasn't working. I don't know that language. If I said something, you think I was speaking in tongue or something. I don't know. There's many that Satan has used to try to wipe out God's people. Most of us who are sitting here go, oh, it's just war. It's just it's just evil. It's just no big deal. It's just the way it is. It's not us. Like, ah, let it hell happen over there. Don't be that way. I know none of you are like that. Because you know the scripture. We pray for Israel. We do not go against Israel. You go against Israel, you're done. You know, no one goes against Israel, right? And God's people. And, and survive. Ask the Romans. Asian <laughs> Persians. I mean, you go down the history, you can see them. Those who turn against God's people go down. They, they get wiped out. So we see there's a great pain that's displayed of the fact that people are coming against God's people at the time of Jesus' birth. And it continues today, but one day it will stop. Amen? Because Jesus is coming back, he'll rule and reign, and there's no one going to come against him. Verse 3, we see the next great sign, and another sign, a mega sign here, appeared in heaven Behold, a great and fiery red dragon having seven heads and, and ten horns and said seven diadems on his heads. We see this description of the next character, the dragon. Again, we are reminded that this is a sign. A, the creature ha, here is, is not literally a great fiery red dragon. But it's the dragon description that John is giving how ferocious and evil this person is that he's describing. It's the symbol of the nature of the characteristic of the person he's telling is going to come against God's people. Who also comes against us. The great red dragon is Satan. There's no question we will see that if you turn and look at verse 9. Verse 9 tells us right, very clearly right there. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So it's very clear in the scripture who this, this character is. We also see it in Isaiah. The description of this is who this dragon is, is Satan. We see it in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. We also see it in 51, chapter 51, verse 9. But notice the description here that this dragon has great power. The seven heads. It means seven rulers and ten horns representing ten nations that we'll talk about more. And these, this, 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 this Satan, this dragon, is going to claim royal 
um, authority by the description of the seven diadems. Diadems is a kingly crown that would be uh, on his head. But these crowns represent his presumptive claims of royal authority. Not that he has that authority. Many people will claim things, that doesn't mean they have it. But this royal authority against the true king, king of kings, and lord of lords. He wants to be considered a king. It started in the very beginning of time, and we see it still today. But Jesus won. He went to the cross. That's when everything changed. From the similar description given here, Also in chapter 13, verse 1, the parallel references back again to the Old Testament that we talk about. Not only is the Old Testament as a whole important to the Revelation, but Daniel, the book of Daniel, important. This reference back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And it is clear that the revived Roman Empire is in view here of how this is all going to play out. See, the seven heads, the ten hordes, refer to the original ten kingdoms of which there would be be subdued by the little horn that is referenced in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. Now, when you think and study the scriptures, we see that the seven horns refer to a geographical place. These these rulers of where they're going to be. But the ten horns refer to Satan's political base. That's the ten nations that are going to be in positions to rule this world during that period of time. And the horns are like the ten toes that we talked about last week with the picture of Daniel chapter 2, the, 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 uh, the different kingdoms, but the toes would be crushed by the last kingdom, which would be Jesus. Do you remember that picture if you were with us? This t- represents these ten, these, these horns re- represents the ten nation confederation that will be emerging and it will be the revived Roman Empire that will come and come against the nation of Israel. Verse 4, we see the dragon is having a very clear view of his destiny of earth. In verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Many believe And when you look at this description, we see it very clearly that the one third of the angelic hosts, because the stars in the scriptures represents angels. And it describes that one third of the angelic host is going to follow the leader called Satan. And is going to look and to follow his ways and rebel against God and think they're doing the right thing by following Satan. And it's this army of angelic beings in union with Satan makes up the world demonic spirits that we see referenced in even in Job chapter 38 verse 7. And also Revelation 9.1. But their purpose is to devour the woman's child. How is he going to do that? How has he attempted to do that you should ask? 
He's going to devour, or at least try to devour, her child as soon as it was born. How does that bring to, to memory of what season we're in today? We celebrate Christmas coming up, the birth of Christ. You should be studying and knowing what took place. Go through the Gospels and go through that as a family and read it and read it. You've heard some of the scriptures we taught, we read, like Stan read today. These things are very important for you to go through during this time. Understand what was happening and taking place. Here it's speaking of in Revelation. It's a very significant time. Because Satan's attempt is always to take out Jesus from the beginning. From the beginning. Even before this, remember, he tried to stop God's plan. Tried to stop it by taking out Eve and Adam. Then he attempted to stop the lineage of Jesus coming about by Cain killing Abel. Then he comes into, in Exodus chapter 1, we see Pharaoh said to, to, uh, to the people, take out all the male babies of that age of younger than two years of age, because that was about the time or age of who Jesus, as, or uh, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, take all the babies, all the male babies to be thrown into the Nile River, to again, to stop the lineage of the, of the Jewish babies. Then we see in the book of Esther, the uh, uh, Haman, Haman coming on to play and orchestrating and having to decree to do what? To wipe out the Jews. Do you think it was just because he hated the Jews? No, Satan was using Haman to take out any lineage so that Jesus could not come to be born. Then we get to Jesus to be killed by Herod. A decree went out to kill all the young boys two years and younger. That would be the time of age of what Jesus was. Because most people think, oh, he came at him when he was a baby. He was in the, the trough that was still there. No, no. Jesus was grown up somewhere just around two years of age when this decree went out. That's why all the babies were going around trying to kill all the, the baby boys uh, two years and younger. Do you think Herod did that because he just hated baby boys? No, because Satan was using him to try to stop God's plan to bring Jesus to even live. This is the invisible war you just don't need to understand. We don't fully understand. To stop God's plan. But God intervened there, if you remember this story of Herod's evilness. An angel of the Lord told Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt to protect that child. Got him out of Dodge. Got, I should say got him out of Jerusalem. Got him out of Israel. And they were obedient, even though that was completely against what they thought that was best for them. But then it continues, most people don't talk about. Do you remember when Jesus went with the apostles on the Sea of Galilee and that huge tempest storm came roaring up? We just sit there and go, oh, isn't that cute? This is a fun thing that he gets to display his power to his disciples, the apostles, that he can calm the, the calm sea. See, no, no, no. That is Satan's attack to wipe him out along with the, all the people. 
all of his apostles. And what did Jesus do? He just stood up and he said, to the storm, peace be still. But then it continues. Do you remember in Nazareth and Jesus started his ministry and he was ministering and his own people did what? Tried to do what with him? Throw him over a cliff. Do you think that because he said a few words? No, because Satan was using those people to try to stop Jesus for, to go to the cross. Whether it be Cain or Pharaoh or Hamas or, or, or Herod or Satan or Hilter, uh, uh, even Hitler or Miss Mussolini. Doesn't matter. Whoever is coming against God's people to stop God's people to, 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 to live and to represent and to do God's purpose is going to be matched up with this invisible war that's going to take place, the spiritual warfare that's going to come against you. Satan has been relentless to his drive to destroy God's people. Did you know? Only one son of the house of David was left alive when this all finally came about. The dragon tried to keep the Messiah from returning. Then Satan tried to stop him to go to the cross. Tempted him in the wilderness. Came on him pretty, very heavy in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not to drink the cup of wrath of the sin of this world. For your sin and my sin. But because he loves you so much, personally, he went to the cross. As we sang today, he left the majesty. He didn't choose the majesty. He chose to come for you and for me. Amazing grace. Then we see the next verse 5 here, the child. We see that Jesus' ministry here. At the beginning and the end, all of his ministry is played out right here in these verses. I hope you notice this. In verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with an iron of, rod of iron. And her child was caught up. That word caught up is the same word, hapazo, meaning rapture, is right here, lifted up, caught up to God in his throne. What happened to Jesus? And on the Mount of Olives, what happened to him? He was caught up into the clouds. He went to God, to the throne. And his ascension is spoken of right here in these verses. So the male child who was to rule all the nations with the rod of iron is clearly is referring to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He rules the world and with a rod of iron. We see that referenced in Psalm 2, verse 9. 
and also Revelation 19, verse 15, when we get there. But it says she bore a male child. It refers to Jesus' birth that we celebrate this season. He's coming to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. It refers to the triumphant return of Jesus. And by stating and starting and stating this point, ending point is Jesus' earthly work. All of it. It started with him being born right here, starting his ministry. About the age of 33. Being caught up to be with his heavenly father. All of that is describing his ministry here of life here on this earth. Now notice in verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. Where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Israel is going to flee to the wilderness. The wilderness is what I believe is Petra. It's down in Moab. It's the Jordanian side. It's south uh, of the Dead Sea on the Jordanian, Jordanian side. And that is where God is going to tell them at that three and a half year mark when the Antichrist goes into that rebuilt temple, declares to be worshipped, and their eyes of Israel will open up to the fact that they were deceived. God will say, flee now. Don't even stop. Don't go to your house. Don't take, pick up anything. You just flee as fast as you can. Because the wrath of the Antichrist is going to be so heavy on the Jews at that time, the nation of Israel, get out of there. Don't wait and go to a place of refuge I've prepared for you. They believe can fit almost a million people into those caves and rocks of Petra. You may have a different view. I'll stick with what I do know in the scripture. Wherever it is that God's going to take them, he will preserve and miraculously provide for them, even I believe, potentially manna once again. To provide for them for how long? For the last three and a half years of the tribulation, the 1,260 days. So we see here, as we shall see, the Antichrist enters the temple, demands to be worshipped. A great tribulation is going to break out. We are going to see the bowls then play, come, coming out. And it's going to be very harsh on the enemy here on this earth. This is the same great tribulation, the same thing that God, uh, Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24. Go back and read that. It's the 1,260 days, the three and a half biblical years that's going to bring about unparalleled hostility that will go against the Jews, but also the wrath of God coming against the enemy of his people. Now, this woman is going to be persecuted by the dragon. Israel is going to be persecuted by the dragon. 
But God is going to protect her, protect the nation of Israel. And he's already prepared a place for him, for her. And this helps us understand with certainty the woman is Israel and not Mary. How could Mary possibly flee into the wilderness in this way? She's already dead. We'll read more about that in verse 14. When we see the woman, the nation of Israel given two eagle wings to flee to the wilderness. But the 1,260 days is important here, as he's referencing, of the time frame that that tribulation or that persecution by the dragon to the nation of Israel is going to happen here. That the three and a half year period here connects the events of Daniel chapter 9 prophecy. In verse 5, we see the description of the ascension of Jesus going up to heaven. Verse 6 here describes yet to occur events that is part of the 70th week of Daniel. Are you getting this? Verse 5, Jesus has now completed his mission here on this earth. He's gone to heaven. Verse 6 describes and is correlated to the Daniel 9 prophecy of the tribulation at the three and a half year point, mid-tribulation, where uh, God's telling the people to flee, go to the wilderness. His judgment's going to come down on the, uh, the rest of this fallen world, but they'll be protected. That period of time between those two verses is the hundreds and hundreds of years of the current period that we're living. It's not described how long that period of time is. We're still living it. I believe soon and very soon. Are we ready? Are you ready? For the return of Christ to rapturous us Hapazo, Hapazo, us out of here, caught up, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. So this break in time is a typical of prophecy. Daniel's seven-week prophecy has such a break in between this. Again, go back to Daniel 9, verses 24 through 25. But it speaks of this time where it will happen. Everything that he's prophesied up to this point has happened. Now we're ready for this second, verse 6, to take place that's going to happen at the three and a half year point. But we're going to have quite the view from heaven, won't we? Because we won't be here. I like the word here, and I'll pause one more time and we'll close here. God prepared his people for the wilderness. Prepared used here in the same Greek word Jesus used in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. I go to prepare a place for you. It's the same verbiage, same Greek language. 
He's going to prepare a place for them there in the wilderness. And God has already promised us he's prepared a place where? In heaven for us. It demonstrates God's careful planning works on earth as well as in heaven. As you study the scripture, you and I should have such peace and such security and assurity of our lives. With such hope and a promise of knowing exactly what our future is like. We don't know the gap between here and the rapture. Or between here and when God individually takes you home before the rapture. Whatever that dash is between your birth and to the day of potential death or rapture. No one knows. Isn't it great to just let God know and deal with all that? And let him be in control? And not to fear and worry about these things? He has a perfect plan played out for each one of our lives. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you again for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for allowing us to have a glimpse and understanding of the future. Yes. But more importantly, Lord, that we get to just live for you in the present. <laughs> we want to live for you in the present. You tell us not to even worry about tomorrow. because who, 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 None of us have a guarantee for tomorrow. Only you. know exactly the day of our departure and the method and how. But you're a loving God. You're a merciful God. You're a gracious God. And we throw our whole selves into your hands, your loving hands. And let us place our hope and promise in you and you alone for our eternal life. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you personally, hasn't given you their life personally to you as Lord and Savior. To trust in your finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone they're speaking to right now and you're knocking at the door of their heart and saying that you love them and that you want them to open up their hearts to you, and ask him, you to come into their heart and to ask for forgiveness of their sins. You said you will forgive their sins, those who humbly come to you and ask for forgiveness of your sins. I pray today's the day of salvation for them, that they'll be born again right now. And if there's anyone right now that the Lord is speaking to, don't push him back. Don't push back. This, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now. Take them by faith. Receive them by faith into your heart. Ask him for the forgiveness of your sins, and he will forgive. He will wipe all your sins away, past, present, even future. Receive him now. In Jesus' name, amen.